Hey, we're in the book of Philippians today. So if you've got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two is where we are. And while you're headed there, look at the person next to you and just tell them, it's not about you. Good. You're having a little too much fun with this. Come on back today. It is all about Jesus. We're going through this letter to the Philippians written by a guy named Paul who's sitting in a prison cell and he's writing to his friends in the church of Philippi. And up to this point, he's been coaching them. He's been encouraging them. He's using phrases like whatever happens, language like the most important thing. He's coaching them on what it means to follow Jesus. And we get to chapter two and Paul goes, okay, now it's not about you. It's about Jesus. You know, we get this following Jesus thing confused sometimes. We get in this mode of what does it mean to follow Jesus? It's going to church and, and reading my Bible more and sin less and, and give money and pray and serve and all those things. And Paul goes, yeah, 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 that's fine. That's good. But right now I just want to talk about Jesus. And so Paul is going to, for six verses, slow down. He's going to slow down to a crawl and go, let me tell you everything I can about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and why Jesus did it. And I think if you listen today, what you might find is that of all the things that we could say about Jesus, all the awe, all the accolades, all the attributes that we could ascribe to Jesus, I think what you might hear is that Jesus' greatest quality is humility. See, this Jesus was seated in glory and he left his throne to die on a cross to live a life where he said, it's not about me, but it's about who can I serve? Who can I sacrifice for and be humble? And so for us today, it's all about Jesus. So we're going to get right into it. We have a lot to cover. We're going to look at the humility of Jesus, and then we're going to hopefully talk a little bit about how do we imitate him? How, in you, how can you and I be people who stop saying, oh, it's all about me and make everything about us and live a life of service and sacrifice that imitates Jesus? So we're going to pick up the passage in verse 6. This is the central part of the book of Philippians. Paul is going to write a poem where he brings everything together in Jesus. And this is Jesus. This is who he is, what he did, and why he did it. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll work through it together. Here we go. Verse 6 says, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather... He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a lot, I know. Are you awake? Good. Let me try and summarize this a little bit. What is Paul saying? Let's look at this. And, and what we call this is we call this the theology of Christ or the Christology, right? Ology, study of Christ. This is the Christology. This is who Jesus is. The first thing that Paul tells us about Jesus 
is that Jesus is God. Jesus, did you catch that? Jesus is God. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was. He's never created. He is the eternally existent Son of God. Before he was born into the world as Jesus of Nazareth, Colossians tells us, oh, he was there at creation. In fact, he was actually there before that. Jesus is God. Now, you can imagine people have tried to dispute this. Throughout history, people have attacked this idea. They'll say that he was just a man. He's not really God. Jesus is just a man. He maybe had some special favor or some special blessing of God. Maybe he had sort of these supernatural powers that God gave him, but he's, he's, he's not really God. Some have argued that because the material world, our physical world, is corrupted by sin, that God could never actually enter our world. So he, he can't really be God. But the Bible tells us that the full deity of God dwells in Jesus Christ. John, who was his best friend, says he is the true God. He's eternal life. The Bible seems to tell us that Jesus is God. But Paul says something interesting. Paul says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be held on to or a thing to be used for his own agenda, for his own purposes. Meaning his status or his privilege that he had as God, he didn't use that for his own well-being. I know the word privilege has sort of been hijacked in our culture today, but here's the, here's the deal. You and I, we all have some level of privilege. We all have some level of, of status, of opportunity. We have the privilege that we get to gather and worship together. We can sing songs, we can open God's word, and we can be together as faith church, worshiping. That's a privilege. You have privilege perhaps in your job at work because of the authority you have, the position that you have. You have status or privilege. You have privilege in your relationships with people. Imagine the privilege, the status that Jesus has as God. Full status, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. He's got it all. And Paul says he didn't consider those things something to be used to promote himself. He considered those things to be used to promote and serve other people. So Paul says this, instead of using his status and his privilege and going, hey, I'm God, I deserve all these things, here's how he uses it, is that Jesus, Paul says, Jesus became human. For the foundation of the world, Jesus was. He is God, never created, always existent. But Jesus decided to take on flesh, to become a human being, born like any of us. Paul uses language that Jesus made himself nothing. Some translations will say that Jesus emptied himself. To make himself nothing means that he gives up the status that he has, the privilege that he has as God and actually becomes a human being. Again, no surprise, people have tried to attack this. People have tried to disprove this. Jesus didn't really become a human being. Some have suggested he was just God trapped inside a body, sort of like a, a comic book superhero, right? Not really a human being trapped inside this shell of a body, but, but it's God in there. Other people have argued that because God is spirit, people might have 
thought they saw Jesus, but his physical nature, it, it was just an illusion. God is spirit. He can't be body. Of course, John, John tells us that the word became flesh. People are trying to argue that Jesus didn't really have the full human experience. Try to get your brain around, around this. I was, I was thinking about what's an analogy of this. The best I could come up with is something like, you know when our, our, our presidents travel to visit troops, they'll, they'll leave the comfort of the, the White House and they'll go to these war zones, war-torn areas, to visit and encourage men and women that are fighting there, right? It's really cool. It's really honorable. But they don't really give up the privileges of being the president. Yeah, they leave the comfort of the White House, but they fly in Air Force One. They have secret service everywhere to protect them, right? They have aides running around doing all kinds of things for them. While it's great, they don't, they don't actually become a soldier and stay there and fight, right? They, 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 they visit and they encourage, but then they leave. Jesus actually becomes one of us. He takes on flesh and actually becomes human. There's nothing like this. There is no analogy for this. There's, there, there's no other worldview. There is no other religion in history where the leader left comfort, came to his or her followers, and became like one of them. And the way Jesus does it, he shows up and he says, listen, I'm one of you and I'm not demanding your praise. I'm not demanding your worship and that you serve me. I came to serve you, the Lord of creation, became a human being, left heaven to come here and serve us. No one else has done anything like that. And you look at it and you go, what does it matter? Do, do we have to be sure that he became human? Well, here's the problem. If he didn't, then Jesus didn't really suffer. He didn't really experience pain. He didn't really experience emotions. He wasn't actually tempted to sin because God can't be tempted. So if he didn't actually walk into the full human experience, it matters. And I think in some ways we argue that because we actually don't want Jesus to be human. We want to be able to shake, 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 shake our fist at the sky and go, God, you don't understand me. You don't know what my life is like. You can't tell me what to do. You don't know the things that I'm walking through. Except he does because he became fully human. The word God took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became fully like us. The, the, the word for this, the big Greek theological word for this is the kenosis. The kenosis is that thing about him making himself nothing. It's hard. You try and put these thoughts together that Jesus is God. Jesus becomes human. Lots of questions, right? I mean, you start to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did he stop being God when he came to earth? Who, who was it that died on the cross? Wait a minute. Was that God or was that a man? Even questions like, was Jesus really tempted to sin? If, if he's God, how does that work? It's hard to understand some of this stuff. Scholars have been looking at it for 2,000 years. Peter writes later on in the Bible, Peter says that when Jesus left heaven, took on flesh, the angels were like, what's he doing? Why is he doing this? If the angels don't understand it, like it's pretty, probably a pretty complicated concept. 
right? It brings up lots of questions, mind-blowing stuff, and it's hard to piece it together. But I do think we can understand it. We can have some type of understanding. I think we can say this about it, is that Jesus, when he became human, he did not stop being God. Instead, he chose not to use his divine Attributes. Do you get that? He didn't stop being God, but he chose not to use his divine attributes, like omnipresence, right? He takes on flesh, which means Jesus can only be in one place at one time. His all-knowing abilities. No, Jesus, the Bible says, grew in wisdom and stature. He had to go to school and learn, just like any of us. Maybe a way of saying it is that Jesus took on the limitations of what it means to be a human being. So Jesus got frustrated, and Jesus was tired, and he was sad. He actually experienced a full range of emotions. And we can look at a passage like this, and we can talk about all the theological mystery that's, that's there, and, and it's fun, but I think we could miss the point that Paul is trying to make. He's going, listen, this Jesus, he's God, and he became man. Jesus from the time that he took on flesh to today and for all time, is 100% God and 100% man. He's not 50-50. It's not like, yeah, he's half God, half man. He doesn't have days where he's 80-20 or flip it around, he's 20-80 or 70-30. It's not a sliding scale. Jesus is always, for all time, 100% God and 100% man. It's hard to get our heads around. I know, it's, 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 it's tricky. It's kind of a cool idea, though. But let me go a little further, because I don't think that's the best part of the story. I think this is the most incredible part, is that Jesus actually chose this. Jesus actually chose for himself to take on flesh. Jesus chose to leave glory and come to the earth. Jesus chose to go to the cross. Amazing. Lord of creation, King of kings, chose this life of service and sacrifice. Now Paul tells us what he did. Watch this. He says, first of all, that Jesus chose to be humble and obedient. That Jesus was both humble and obedient. And I can't say it enough. He chose to be like this. So just trying to, trying to get our minds around this. Are there chores that you hate doing? Like all chores are not any fun, right? But is there one chore in particular that will just put you into a tailspin? I hate feeding the dog. I mean, I hate it. You, I'm so lazy. You got to go in the get the bowl and go in the kitchen and get water, and then you got to get the other bowl and go in the room. And get, I look at her and I'm like, she's kind of chubby. She'll be all right. She can miss a meal. It's no problem, <laughs> right? It's terrible. And and listen, parents, you'll understand this. My kids told me they'd take care of this dog. <laughs> just please, Daddy, just get us a puppy. You won't ever have to do anything. We'll feed her and we'll walk her and we'll clean up after her. Guess what? Sometimes I like to remind them of that little promise. Like, oh, come here, come here. Feed the dog. And what do they say? Why do I have to do it? And I come in with the most effective parenting tool ever. I go, because I said so, and I'm your dad. <laughs> right? Is there something, when you think about chores, 
Is there something different in your heart when someone tells you you have to do something or when you choose to do it yourself? Go back to when you were a kid and you were told, you have to do the dishes, you have to vacuum, you have to do the laundry. Was there something different in your heart when someone tells you to do this versus when you choose on your own to do something? So imagine that God the Father has to go, Jesus, get off your throne and go down there and save these people. Go down there, become a human being, and die on the cross. And while you're at it, clean up your room, because it's a mess. Imagine that, that God had to tell him, like a parent, what to do. And Jesus goes, I don't want to. Why do I have to do it? And he goes, because I'm God the Father. That's why. That didn't happen. Jesus willingly did this on his own. Jesus goes, yeah, I want to do that. These people, they're, they're, they're separated from us because of their sin. I want to go down there and save them. I want to take on flesh. I want to go to the earth. I want to die on a cross. Aren't you so glad that Jesus is so loving that he goes, yeah, I want to do that. Let me do that. He loves us so much. He's so obedient to the Father that he leaves heaven and he comes to earth. I think it's incredible that he would be so humble that he would choose a life of sacrifice. Amazing. The Lord of creation Humble, obedient. Paul reminds us, though, he didn't just stop by, by coming to earth, but Jesus also saw it all the way through, right? He died on a cross. The lowest human standing is to die on a cross. The Bible says anyone who hangs on a cross is cursed. This is as low as low can possibly be. He goes from heaven, seated in glory, praised, worshiped by angels, to hanging on a cross, willingly. He, he, he chose it. He chose to do that. When Jesus was in the garden the night before he died, and he prayed, and he said, God, your will, not mine. He knew what was coming. He knew that the cross was waiting for him. And he chose it. He chose to die, to become like one of us, take on flesh, and hang on a cross. He chose that. And you look at it and you go, why? I mean, God could have done anything God wanted to do, waved a magic wand. Why did Jesus do this? Why would anyone do this? Why would you leave the comfort of heaven in perfect glory to come to this place? Why would someone do that? Go back to the passage. Let me read verse 9 and 10 for you again. Listen to this. Paul writes this. This is why Jesus did this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God, the Father. Why did Jesus do it? Paul tells us, he gives us a couple of reasons. The first reason that, that Jesus did this is because he would then be exalted. The name that is above every name. He would go from the grave, the tree to the grave, the lowest standing, and he would be placed on high. The name that is above all names. And Paul is referencing uh, Old Testament prophecy 
If you care, it's Isaiah 45, 23, which says, one day every tongue will confess, every tongue will swear by me. He says, every knee will bow before me. See, what Jesus knows is that there is a day where every one of us will bow before him. Every one of us will know this is the Lord. This is the king of creation, and we will bow before him, says those in heaven, those on the earth, and even those seemingly in hell will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and bow before him. That doesn't mean that the people in hell will be saved from their sin because of that, but there's a day when every creature will realize and acknowledge this is the Lord. Jesus is God. He will be exalted. But the other reason, and maybe the more powerful reason for why Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth is for the glory of God. Did you see that? This is the ultimate reason. This is the, this is the primary goal of everything that Jesus does to bring glory to God. And we could look at a passage like this and you go, maybe, maybe you go, I've heard this Philippians 2 thing a gazillion times. And there's all this theological intrigue and the, the kenosis. And we can talk about all that. I'm happy to talk about it. It's super fun. But I think we could easily miss the point. This idea that the Lord of creation left heaven why? To bring glory to God. Because Jesus is in heaven and he's going, listen, these people down there that I love, they're separated from us. And if I could just get them to see the beauty and the majesty of God the way I see it, if I could get them to be in God's presence where they could understand his love, where they could know his goodness, if I could bring people to fall down before Almighty God, I would do anything. Do you see that Jesus just wants us to worship God, to bring him glory, because God is that good that he deserves our eternal praise and worship. And Jesus goes, what do I have to do to do it? What do I have to do? Because I want to bring glory to God. That's what I care about. You want me to take on flesh and go down there and die on a cross? You bet, God, I'll do that. Because you're worth it, Father. God is just that good. And Jesus is like, if I could help anyone to see the majesty, the beauty of God the Father, boy, I'd do it. I would do anything. Do you see that? This is the ultimate goal of everything Jesus does and the ultimate goal of what we do to bring glory to God. I, I'm going to do something weird. I know we're right in the middle of the sermon. I'm going to pray I, because... I can't, I can't have this going in one ear and out the other for any of us. Jesus draws us before the throne of God and he goes, he's that good. I've seen him. He's that good that I would leave heaven and go to earth and die for you just so that you would see him. Let me pray. King Jesus, you are so good. You are so much more than what we deserve. Thank you that you made yourself nothing, that you left glory to come to the earth, to die for us. You left heaven knowing what it would cost you. You left heaven knowing that you would die for our sins. You knew that you would die for my foul mouth and my impure thoughts and my selfish motives, my arrogance, 
Father, thank you for bringing Jesus back to life. Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that this is real. This isn't a fairy tale. You are this good, God. Help us even right now in this moment to see how much you must love us. Jesus, to see what you've done. To be humble and choose a life of service and sacrifice. Thank you. Show us to see how much we mean to you. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. What do we do with all this, guys? Other than just, okay, sit in awe of God because he's worth it. What do we do with all this? Does Paul teach us anything? Go back to the passage. Go a verse earlier to verse 5. We work backwards. Watch this. Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, church family, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which is what Paul has just been describing. A mindset and a heart of humility, of sacrifice, of service to others. He's saying, go and live like Jesus. And I hear that and I go, oh, sure, no problem. Right. I can't even feed the dog without complaining. And you want me to live a life of humility. You want me to give up my status and my privilege to serve other people? To sacrifice for them? That's really hard. How am I going to do that? Can you help me, God? Go back further. Work backwards. Verse 3. How do we do it? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's our marching orders. That's our instruction. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What do you do with this? You be like Christ and you be humble. You stop thinking about yourself and you, you choose to be humble. And we get humility so wrong because we think humility is like this, oh, poor me, I'm not worth anything. Everybody's better than me. You're still thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. You want to be humble? Here's what it is. Stop thinking about yourself and think about other people. Doesn't mean be Eeyore and be all pathetic. That's not the answer. That's still thinking about you. The Bible says that God hates pride. He opposes the proud. And we have this idea that if we feel sorry for ourselves and we heap shame on ourselves and we make ourselves feel really pathetic, that's humility. No. It's to stop thinking about ourselves and to start thinking about other people. That's humility. That's like Christ. I know for me, I've shared this before, no secret. I struggle with being arrogant. There are certain things that if it touches my ego, man, I power up. I start going through the mental checklist of all the things that the world owes me and all the ways that people have wronged me. I hate it. Maybe, that, maybe you're like that. It resonates with you. Others of you, though, I know you're always beating yourself up. You're always tearing yourself down. You're always making yourself feel like less than everybody else. Oh, if people only knew me, the real me, I'm not worth anything. Something about this passage that brings humility to all of us if we'll let it. It will humble us if we'll let it. That this Jesus, this God, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, that he saw us, you and me, and he goes, you have such value to me. 
He calculated the cost of what it would be to come to earth to die on a cross. And he said, you're worth it. Not because we deserve it. Not because Christ needs us, but because he wants us. Something about this passage is so humbling because it shows us the humility and the awesome love of Christ. So what do you do with it? I have an assignment for you. Well, one of two assignments. The first one might be this. We read that there's a day coming where every knee will bow before Jesus. Everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king. Have you done that? Have you surrendered to him completely? Have you trusted Jesus? That Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, give me eternal life. I want to follow you. Jesus, change me from the inside. I mean, every one of us will one day bow down to Jesus, whether we want to or not. Have you done that? If you never have, today could be the day. I'm going to pray in a minute and, and give you the opportunity to do that. But for the rest of us, I have an assignment for you, a little homework. This week you take verse 3, which says, In humility, value others above yourselves. You take this passage, you take this home with you, and here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to change it to in humility, Value and start filling in names above yourself in humility. Value your spouse above yourself. In humility, value your coworkers above yourself. In humility, value your friends. In humility, value your aging parents above your own needs. In humility, value your neighbors. In humility, value strangers above yourself. In humility, value your enemy above yourselves. Do you see how when you put names to it, it becomes real? It's not this ambiguous, oh, just value other people. Jesus isn't in heaven going, I guess I'll be humble and go sacrifice for other people. No, names and faces. It makes it real when we do that. Are you valuing your spouse and their needs above your own? Are you valuing your kids and their needs above your own? That coworker that you don't really like, are you valuing their needs above your own? Your neighbor who never mows their lawn and plays music really loud, are you valuing their needs above your own? See, there are things, there are relationships in your life. You're being arrogant. You've made it all about you. You've made your marriage about you. You've made your friendship with someone about you and your needs. But God puts these people in our lives that we would like Christ, that we would be humble and we would serve them and we would sacrifice for them. If you will take this passage and you will hold it up to the Lord and you will say, God, show me what it is to be humble. God, show me if there are people in my life and relationships in my life. I've made it about me. Show me how to be like Jesus, to serve and sacrifice and love like him. He will, but you got to ask him to show you. And he will. It's a promise. Psalm 25, I'll end with this. He promises. He guides who? The humble. He guides the humble in what is right. 
and teaches them his way. You want to be humble? You want to live like Jesus? Ask him to help you, and he will lead you. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your humility. We don't deserve it. We certainly haven't earned it. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose willingly to leave heaven, to take on flesh, to become like one of us, to serve us, to love us, to make way for us. One day, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ, you are Lord. God, today, you know our hearts. You know that many of us have done that and put our trust in you, but you also know there are people listening that haven't, that haven't surrendered their life to you. If that's you today, there's no magical prayer. There's no ritual that you have to walk through. It's pretty simple. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you will be saved from your sins, not distant from God. He's near to you even now. If that's you, today's the day that you could choose and say, I want to, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I've believed the lie that you're far off, but you're not. You came for me and to me. Jesus changed me from the inside out, beginning today. Don't leave here today without making that choice. Are you going to bow down to him? Are you going to follow him today? God, for the rest of us, would you show us what it's like what it means to be humble. Help us, God, where we've made our relationships about us, our friendships. We've made them about us. Our relationships with people in our small groups, we've made it about us. Our marriages, we've made it all about us. Help us to see that. Help us to walk like Jesus, to be humble to value others above ourselves like Christ valued each one of us above his own needs. Thank you, Jesus, that you died. You lost your life so that we could have life eternal beginning today and forevermore. It's in your name we pray. Amen.